The End of a World by Fern Webby. Part 1. The Quell Card. Chapter 1. I'm a tree to get a better look at the trap I just nailed down on the roof. It's not going to win any beauty contests, but I'm pretty sure I've got the whole gap covered. I didn't see anything up close, and there's no cracking or buckling that I can see from up here. It won't hold in much heat, but at least it'll keep the snow out of Mom's room. Tin would have been better. Lachlan found some tin in the trash bins at the mine last summer, and we used it for the last of the holes over the kitchen. It wasn't big enough to cover this one. He keeps diving into the bins to see if they'll throw out any more, but so far, the dirty, paint-spattered tarp is the best find he's had. There was no real reason to throw it out, so I guess the mine foreman, who always felt bad for Mom, left it there for him on purpose. Of course, I know what I really need. I spent an hour in the school library trying to find out how to fix the holes properly. Plywood, shingles, braces, big screws, tools other than the large, flat rock I used as a hammer. Even when I start working the mines in two years, it'll take forever for me to save up for things like that. It'd be easier to get married, apply for a new family house, then invite Mom and Lackland to come live with me. Of course, if the government has to repossess it in this state, they'll make me pay for the repairs anyway, but at least Mom and Lackland would have a real roof over their head while I scrounge. I can't quite stop my brain from calculating how much time I'll have to get a roof over Mom's head, judging by bloody cough she's been coughing into, and coming up pretty short on the two years before I can start working or get married. I push the thought away as hard as I can. If I start thinking about that, about how she just keeps getting weaker, just like Dad did, about how she's told me that I may have to take on looking after Aquan a little more soon, then I'll freeze up. There's no time to freeze up. Admiring your handiwork? I look down and grin. Inigo Hardy is standing around the base of the tree, smiling the prettiest smile in about six districts. Hey, Digger, you got the Tessera grain sorted out? All set. I swear, if they lose my birthday down there again, I'm going to have it tattooed on their faces. I climb down a few branches until I'm clear to grab a low branch and just drop the rest of the way. I'm sure this would turn out very graceful, except that one of the strings holding my shoes together snaps when I land and I end up stumbling into Digger and knocking us both off balance. She catches herself on another tree and I catch myself on her, which is more or less where I intended to end up anyway. I kiss her. Even after two years of going out on and off, I still can't believe she lets me do this. She smiles when I pull away to take a breath and rubs a little spit off the corner of my mouth with her thumb. There's mandatory viewing tonight. Is your television working or are you going to come up to the square? I wrinkle my nose and take her hand then lead her toward the house. Mandatory viewing? What for? House mother says it's probably the reading of the Quell card. Remember? You and your mom and Lachlan can come up to the community home if you want to watch with me. It'll be warmer than in the square. We get to the door. I have to let go of her hand to open it since the top hinge isn't, well, there. I pulled the pin last month and used it to secure a blanket to insulate mom's wall. If I don't balance the top of the door and keep it where the hinge is supposed to keep it, it'll tip and not close right. Are you sure that it's all right with the house mother if we come? Because our television got a little doused in the big storm last fall. Kind of fried. Oh yeah, it was her idea. She likes your mom. And your brother. 
Of course, she thinks you more or less a lost cause. Bigger grins as she goes inside. The smell hits right away when I go in, so I don't smile at her joke. I know it'll fade into the background soon, and Digger makes a great effort to not show on her face that she smells it too. But it's there. It never leaves. The smell of wood rot and disease and death. Now when it's cold out, it smells like filthy bodies too, because we only bathe when we can't stand to smell each other anymore. And I don't let mom bathe in cold water, even when she wants to. If she catches a cold, she could die. From the back, I can hear her coughing. She appears at the door to her room, moving aside the old, tattered blanket that covers it. Indigo, that you, honey? Sure is. <laughs> Figured you could use someone to talk to who can manage more than a syllable at a time. She glances over at the staircase, which leads to nowhere. The upstairs room fell in years ago when Dad was still alive to fix the roof under them. <laughs> Lachlan, what are you doing hanging upside down? Haven't gotten down yet. Lachlan pulls himself up, tugging at the length of cloth that's tied around his ankle. He manages to get himself upright. Sort of. Got my arms untied, though. Hey, Mitch. Why'd you tie your brother up? He told me to. Do not understand your voice sometimes. Get him down. No, I almost got it. Mom gears up to scold him, but it comes out in a series of harsh coughs. She puts her pillow to her face, then hides it when she's done, like we don't know she's using it to catch blood. I cut Lachlan down and help him to his feet. Mom sinks down in her rocking chair. Digger gives her a blanket off Lachlan's bed by the fireplace. I was just telling Hamish, mandatory viewing tonight. You can come up to the community home to watch with me. It's nice and warm there. I don't know if I can get there. Pick up her pillow, check it for blood. Not too bad today. We'll get you there. We'll bundle you up in all the blankets, then me and Lachlan will just pick up your chair and carry you. Right, Lachlan? Yeah, it'll be just like that picture in the storybook, where they're carrying the queen into town. Are you sure you can do that? It's an awfully long way to carry someone. Unfortunately, this isn't hard to answer. Mom's barely been eating, even when we do scrounge up food. I've picked up heavier logs lately. I tell her, we'll do just fine, then set about making a fire in the fireplace. We're almost out of sticks to light it with, and I know that if she was feeling stronger, she'd say it was a waste of time, when we'll only have to put it out in a few hours. But she's not stronger, and she doesn't argue. She just starts asking Digger about the community home and what sorts of things she does there all day. Digger paints her a cheerful picture, saying they can have hot baths once a week, if they need them, and play games in the basement at night. And you have enough to eat? Well, it's no capital banquet, but look at me, strong as an ox, and I only poach in the woods a little bit. Bigger winks and flexes the muscles in her scrawny right arm. She poaches more than, quote, a little bit to get decent food for herself and the others, and all of us know it, but no one says anything. Tell you what, I'll give you a tour of the place before mandatory viewing. I'd like that, Indigo. Thank you. I look at Lackwin, who's gone about six shades of green. Neither one of us has to ask why Mom's wondering about life in the community home. I put together something that resembles lunch. Digger brought us a rabbit last week, and we've been stretching out the soup ever since. I go outside and peel some bark from a pine tree to skin it for the edible stuff inside, and drop it in for a little substance. I throw in a few needles as well, along with a few handfuls of snow to stretch the bra. Sooner or later, the pine tree will die, and we'll be in real trouble. But for now, it gets us through the winter. Digger tries to beg off, claiming that she's not hungry, but I put a bowl in front of her and don't take any argument. She eats it as hungrily as the rest of us. 
A couple of hard biscuits that Lachlan made from the last batch of tests for a grain give us something to gnaw on. There's nothing really to talk about after we eat, so Mom asks if I'll read a story. I go in the battered old cupboard in the kitchen and get the plastic wrap box from the shelf. We weren't always poor like this. When Mom and Dad were both alive and healthy and working in the mines, we did it as well as anyone else on the scene. Maybe even a little better for the brief time that Dad got a promotion for his blasting ideas. His drinking ideas put an end to that quickly. We owned three books. No matter how much Dad was drinking, no matter how sick either of them got, there was never any talk of selling the books. There probably wouldn't have been any buyers in District 12 anyway, but I'm pretty sure the subject never even came up. The first book is Dad's Dictionary. It was a present from his dad, and it belonged to his grandfather, and maybe his grandfather's father. It's kind of falling apart, even though we take care of it pretty well. I guess it's mine now, but I always think of it as Dad's. Sometimes when he was so drunk that I can't figure out how he could actually focus on the little print, he'd pick out words and expound on what they, quote, really meant by reading the whole history of them out loud, even trying the older languages that they came from. Lachlan and I always thought that was funny. As drunken behaviors go, I've learned since we've had it pretty good. He yelled at his dictionary, but never at us. He never hit us or it. He was just sort of happy and slurry and clumsy. Unfortunately, the clumsy part ended up with half the house going up in smoke when he tried cooking drunk, and the holes it left have been letting in lots of other things that keep eating the place up. The other two are storybooks. Mom and Dad shrimped and saved so that Lachlan and I could each have one book for our very own when we were born. Mine's a collection of fairy tales called Stories from Everywhere. There's a picture on the cover of a boy climbing a giant beanstalk. Everyone told Mom that Lachlan was sure to be a girl. So they got him a book where a princess tells stories every night to her husband to keep him from killing her in the morning. The fact that there's a picture of a girl on the cover never fazed Lachlan very much as far as I know. I want the glass slipper. You always want the glass slipper one. Mom, which one do you want? The one with the clever pig who builds a strong house. That's also the one she always wants. I don't ask Lachlan. He'll want the one from his book about the fisherman who finds a genie. Almost 80 stories between the two books and we always end up stuck on the same three. I mark the one Mom says she wants, in case she insists, but I close my eyes and pick one at random from the middle of the book. It's about a girl with a burned face who's the only one in her village who can see the invisible being whose hunting bow is a rainbow and who rides a sled made of the Milky Way. It seems like a good mix, so I read it and no one complains. When I finish, we bundle Mom up in her chair and after a little experimenting, secure some long branches to it. Lachlan and I lift her up way too easily, and the four of us head for town. Digger thinks it's her job to keep Mom entertained, so she talks about silly capital fashions she sees on television. A whole thing with feathers? Wouldn't that itch? You should have seen the drawers that went with it. They showed the poor girl's drawers? Made of fur. I can think of places fur would be nice, but that's not one of them. My goodness, that's crazy. Kind of pretty, though. Feather skirt, <laughs> not the drawers. The drawers were just silly. But the skirt had all kinds of pretty colors in it. There were giant blue and green feathers that looked like they had eyes on them. Peacocks. What? Peacocks. They're a bird. There's a picture in my book, and I looked it up in Dad's dictionary. They're these giant blue birds, and the males have big feathers with eyes on them. I'd like to see a bird like that. Where do they live? This 
might turn into an interesting conversation, but as we turn up the seam, we stop talking. Mom tries to carry on, but Alakwin and Digger and I know better. Talking about peacocks, or stories, or dictionaries, is just going to draw out our less than neighborly neighbors. They think it's the height of hilarity that Alakwin and I, quote, put on airs, talking about books and other useless things, when we can't even keep the house dry. A pretty girl named Hazel Purdy, who finished school last year and works in the mines now, used to put on an exaggerated capital accent and explain all the reasons why we weren't fooling anyone. She even found a poem I wrote for homework and read it out loud in that accent in front of half the scene, then it did a whole routine about how I was going to set fashion trends in the capital. Everyone would be holding their shoes together with string and good wishes, and no one's clothes would fit, and they'd all smell like they hadn't had a bath in six months. A couple of boys held me still so I couldn't get away until she was done. After that, I went to the library and got out some books about how to get away from anyone's hold, and I learned to fight. They don't do that to me as much anymore. I also don't wave red flags in front of them by talking about books and fancy birds. I leave that for my literature class, where all the other students are merchants' kids from town who couldn't care less that I talk about books. Most of them are okay, but their parents are pretty scandalized that a seam kid, and not just a seam kid, but one of the Abernathys, the drunks kids from the shack by the slag heap, is sitting in class with their pretty clean blonde darlings and getting better grades. Dad and a few of my teachers, and for some reason the owners of the local sweet shop, had to fight with everyone in town to get them to let me keep taking the fancy classes, and Dad was pretty sick by then. By the time we get to town, no one is trying to talk. Mom is shivering despite all the blankets around her, and Digger has donated her jacket to the cause, so she's also shivering. The community home is at the far edge of town, beyond the mayor's house, supposedly away from the bad influences of the bars and the seam. We lift Mom up the front stairs, and Digger fishes for her keycard to let us in. There are a few efforts in the entrance hall to make it look cheerful. Someone has drawn a clown on the wall, and someone else did a family of rabbits. But the paint is peeling and blistering, and the pictures are distorted, and the dispirited toys that are jumbled in a box don't look like they're much fun for anyone. Indigo? The house mother, a middle-aged woman named Say, comes out of the back office. Indigo, you were supposed to be back an hour ago. I know. We just got to talking. I'm going to show Mrs. Abernathy around, if that's okay. You can have a look at anything you want, Rona. Indigo will answer any questions you have. And if you'd like a hot bath, you just ask. We can make a room for all three of you to stay the night, though we don't have breakfast enough for you in the morning. She gives Digger a significant look, and Digger shrugs. Winter is hard weather for hunting. She says Say can stretch out anything she catches, but sometimes there's nothing to stretch. Thank you. Much obliged. If you have something that needs fixing, you ask the boys, and they'll take care of it. She heaves herself up out of the chair, and Lackland and I move it into the television room, where several of the house residents are already waiting for mandatory viewing. Digger takes Mom towards the back. Someone tugs on my shirt. What then? A little girl stands wide-eyed and frightened by a chair, even though she's got to be five years away from reaping age. I don't know. Something obnoxious, I guess. But it's younger kids. I think it's going to be younger kids. I'd like to say that it's impossible, but when it comes to the Hunger Games, I don't write much off. Every year, they grab two kids and send them off to die to punish their districts for something our grandparents did 50 years ago. When you get people who do that, most things aren't off the table unless they wouldn't make good television. That's probably the only reason they don't just take babies. No one would be entertained by watching babies starve. 
they don't do much interesting in the process. I wish I didn't know that firsthand. Seven-year-olds, though, sometimes they do something interesting. I could see the capital deciding to reap little kids just because they're bastards. It's usually people with parents by accident. An older girl. I know her from school. Gilla, or something like that. She lived on the team until her parents died last fall. She's 13 and definitely in the reaping. Probably twice, since community home kids are required to take Tessera to keep the place fed. There'll be something weirder than that. So it looks different from the other years. Like what? I know. Hamish, you know stuff. What do you think? I think I'm not making guesses about the capital. What was the first year? Maybe the 50th will be like the first. It was Rebels kids. They just picked from the kids of the prisoners. We don't have any Rebels now, so it can't be that. I suspect it isn't entirely true about the Rebels. I've heard people muttering. I heard Dad muttering when he was drunk sometimes. I know that the Donna girls, who are in my history and literature classes, like to make statements that they think are very obscure, mostly about mocking jays and how they're alive despite the Capitol's intentions. I know Danny Malark, probably the only guy in school who treats me like a regular person, takes extra testeray to help people he doesn't even know, which is pretty rebellious around here. But in terms of what the Capitol thinks of as rebellion, adults with guns shooting peacekeepers, there really aren't any. Just a whole lot of kids who've been mouthing off a lot lately. Which isn't very smart when I think about it. I keep my mouth shut personally. We take seats on the floor near where we drop mom's chair and watch the Capitol's programming that's on before mandatory viewing. Gilla expresses the hope that they'll run an episode of Plutarch Lives about a boy who changes his identity for every show and always solves all kinds of problems. I've never seen it. It started after our television fried, but everyone says it's the best show ever out of the Capitol. And it shows how people can make a difference. Yeah, really. Maisley Donner was complaining in class that it hasn't been on for weeks, and, to Gilla's disappointment, it's not on today either. Instead, there's a show about men's fashion. Apparently, we're supposed to be wearing feathers, too. And a bunch of painted-up male models walk around looking like some weird half-bird creatures with red feathered pants and boots that look a little bit like talent. I yawn. Capital programming is universally boring, at least when I've been able to watch it. Mom's back by the time mandatory viewing starts. Caesar Flickerman has a little bit of a pre-show, catching up with last year's winner from District 2. His name is Brutus, and he seems to be enjoying himself. Then, President Snow comes out and announces the quell and picks a card from a box. Blackwood and I are playing a hangman in the dust on the floor. Digger pokes my back to make me pay attention. She doesn't bother with Blackwood. Blackwood can see something fine if it's as close as he is to the floor for our game right now, but the television is way too far away for him to make the sense of anything but the audio. I think he just needs glasses, but then again I may as well say that I think he just needs to go to the moon for all the likelihood of it happening. I make myself look at the television. Snow is looking very smug, but then he always does. To remind the districts that two rebels died for every capital citizen during the uprising, twice the number of tributes will be reaped. When he finishes, he smiles tightly. The coverage goes to frantic commentary during which some brilliant capital mathematician deduces this means there will be 48 tributes in the arena. People on the street are excited. Reaction shots in the districts, not here of course, they don't come out here unless they have to, show stunned people in their squares. I look down and draw another hangman grid, and try to decide what will most likely stump black one. Mandatory viewing ends, and say turns off the television. Is everyone alright? Anyone got any questions? No one does. I look around. The kids are all looking green, even Lackland, who's 12 and doesn't have any tesseract, so he shouldn't need to worry. 
Everyone's chances are still pretty small, even with twice the number of names drawn, and nothing about it seems to suggest that they'll go after orphans particularly. Say sends the little ones up to bed and gets an empty room ready for my family. Mom and Lachlan settle in. I stay down in the television room with Digger. Don't worry about it. It's two more, but your chances aren't really that much worse. District 12, it's worse. We have fewer people to start with, so the odds are worse. Now we're doubling, and I have six tessera. Six? Digger, what the hell were you thinking? You don't need to have six tessera. You have to have one. I took them for a couple of the little kids, and old Larkspur Blythe. He doesn't have any family to take them for him, and he was starving. And I took over Azalea Sebolts too. She's sick. She wouldn't have a chance. I do the math quickly. One entry, because everyone has to have one, times five, for the fifth year. Then six Tessera, five times six. Her name will be in the reaping bowls 35 times. You drop some of those next year. It's not worth it. It's not going to help if I drop them next year if I get reaped this year. You won't. It's still out of thousands when you work in everyone else's Tessera. The odds... Aren't very good however you look at it. Maybe I could win. Maybe I could get all the money and we could have a house in the Victor's Village and your mom and Lachlan could move in with us. You're not getting ripped. Don't you ever just feel like your number's up? I always feel like my number's up. Tonight doesn't change that much. I open my arms and let her snuggle beside me. It's no big deal. It's only one girl more than usual. They won't take her. They can't. <sighs>